please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, will you dance the music God is playing with the person that God has provided for you? Will you dance to the music God is playing with the partner God has provided? Uh, this morning, we're gonna be in the second part of Ephesians chapter five, and we're gonna be looking at marriage. Uh, Paul's going to transition into a segment of scripture where he's going to begin to talk about different types of relationship within this new community that Christ is forming. And uh, and so this morning we're going to we're going to look at marriage. And um, I I want to show you a picture. Um, This is um, this is my wife Melissa. Uh, This was taken on on January twelfth of two thousand and five. This is the day that I proposed. And uh, I love this picture. Um, I, I love that smile on her face. Uh, I, I love the fact that I got to put that smile on her face. Uh, we've been married for 16 years uh, now, and, uh, and I have been able at times to, to put that smile on her face. When, uh, when I am at my best, when I am accurately reflecting who God is to her, I am able to bring joy and happiness into her life. I'm able to put that smile on her face. Uh, but the truth is, is that in that 16 years, um, I haven't always put that smile on her face. That I have brought uh, sadness, and I have brought pain, and anger, and grief uh, into our relationship through uh, my attitudes, and my actions, and my words. And the reality is, is that uh, we have a profound impact on one another in marriage. Marriage is, I would argue, the most significant relationship that one human being can have with another one. It is the most significant relationship that you can have. And, and I realized this morning that there are many of you who are not married. And maybe um, your marriage ended in divorce or maybe it ended in death. And maybe you'd be the first one who would say that you know how significant of a relationship marriage is because you know the loss of it. 
And there are some of you here this morning who um, you're not there yet. You have some growing up to do. You have some maturing to do. You're finding out who, who, who you are. And, and maybe even the, the youngest ones among us who can understand what I'm saying, I, I think that even you know how significant marriage is. And you might even have in the back of your mind ideas about it and maybe even praying to God for, for the partner that he'll bring to you one day. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you're headed towards marriage. You're in the relationship that is, that is headed down that path. And I just want to stop and say to you, look, it is so important that you begin the best possible way that you can. This is, this is the most important relationship that you will have with another human being. Start it on the right foot. Start with premarital counseling. Start with the fact that you're a sinner marrying another sinner and you guys are bringing that stuff into a relationship to do life together. Get some help first. Sit down with a, with a wiser, older couple who, who, who will model what we're going to talk about today and get help first so you can start on a firm foundation. I also recognize that there are some of you that, that are here this morning and um, you long to be married. You have been looking for that partner. And you haven't found that person yet. And you know the longing that that brings. You, you hear what, what God said to Adam in, in the garden before Eve. It's not good to be alone. Like you feel that. And so I pray this morning that, that God would bring you that partner to dance with. Some of you are here this morning though and you want nothing to do with marriage. And, and maybe, maybe that's because God has chosen you and given you a special gift of singleness. Maybe he's got other special, significant relationships that you get to have because you're not married. But maybe the reason why you want nothing to do with marriage is because you felt the collateral damage of a marriage exploding on you. Somebody else's marriage. Maybe it's your parents' marriage or some other loved one around you, and you've felt the hurt and the pain because you know that this is such a significant relationship that when it goes south, it doesn't just affect the two people in it, it affects m many people around it. And so you're scared of being part of a relationship that might do that kind of harm to another person. So for you, I pray this morning that you would, you would hear and you would see a picture of what God's idea, what marriage would look like, and you would take comfort from that. For the rest of you who are here this morning and you are married, you need to know that your relationship is the loudest proclamation of what you actually believe to the world around you. Louder than the words you speak your marriage proclaims either the truth about who God is or it proclaims a lie. Your marriage speaks volumes about what you believe. Does your marriage point people to the gospel? You see, we're surrounded by a world that looks at Christians and they're, they're not just asking the question, is Christianity true? They're asking, does it work? Does it actually make a difference? Because here there are two sinners and they're coming together in this relationship. Can the gospel actually bind them together? Can the gospel actually reconcile and redeem? Can it heal wounds? Can it allow this couple to thrive in such a beautiful way? Does the gospel actually work? Because the truth is, if the gospel can't save the marriage, then it's useless. What does your marriage proclaim about God? Will you dance to the music that God is playing with the partner God has provided? 
I'm going to pause here and we're going to pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, um, we need a, a new picture of what marriage looks like. Uh, we need a picture that's drawn by you. Uh, we need um, you to give us the plan to follow. We need you to heal wounds in regards to pain and abuse at the hands of sinful authority. We need you to remind us of the truth of the cross and the power and submission. We need you to be leading us by the power of your spirit to submit to one another, all of us. We give this time to you and we ask that you speak in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start in Ephesians 5, look at verses 1 and 2 together. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What is the plan of marriage that you're operating under? What is the paradigm? What is the the blueprint? When, When you think about what marriage should look like, where do you go? I mean, is, is, is it the world that is informing your view of marriage? Is it the culture? Is it, is it the, the, the books you read and the, the movies you watch and the shows you watch? Or is, it, is it the magazines? What, what is it that is informing your view of marriage? You see, Paul is pointing us to God, and he's saying, imitate God. Be like God. Look like God. Like, like little children that long to be like our Heavenly Father. This is the picture. He says, walk in love. As Christ loved us, how did Christ love us? How did he love? He laid down his life for us. That's how Christ loved us. This is the picture of what love is supposed to look like. Now skip down to verses 17 and 18. He says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Another way of asking this question is, is can you hear the music that God is playing? God is speaking. God is loud. God is informing the world of who he is and what he is like and what he has done. He is singing. He is playing a tune. Like, can you hear what God is putting out there? Like, can you pick up what he's putting down? Can, Can you hear the music that God is playing? Do you know what the will of the Lord is? And Paul, he does these, uh, these negative positive statements. Don't do this, instead do this. So don't be under the influence of the spirit or, uh, of alcohol. Be under the, the influence of the spirit instead. And, and so he goes into a little bit what does it look like to be under, uh, under the spirit. And we'll get to, to one of those things as it applies to the message that we're looking at today. But I want you to notice something about the passages that we just read. Do you see the Trinity there? Do you see God the Father there? Do you see the Son? Do you see the Spirit? Right? Three, yet one. Three persons, distinct in role, yet one being, one purpose. That the Trinity actually becomes a model and a picture of what human marriage is supposed to look like. The Trinity is. You know, a marriage is, is, is supposed to be two people becoming one. And as the Godhead is equal, co-equal and co-eternal together. And yet, what we see is in that Trinitarian relationship, there is headship and there is submission, as demonstrated in Christ 
in his earthly life. We see that model for us. They're, they're equal, yet they're different. And in marriage, what we see is two people coming together, two becoming one, and they're equal, but they're different. Genesis 1.27 says that both male and female are created in the image of God. Both man and women are created as image bearers of God, meant to reflect to the whole universe what God is like. That is where you get your value from. That is where you get your worth from, from being an image bearer of God. Both men and women are equal in value, but they're different. They're different in role. God made them differently. Paul talks about this in Corinthians and in Timothy that there's this interdependency of relationship where uh, man is created first and then from him uh, woman and out of him comes woman, but man is then born of woman. There's this interdependent, complementarian relationship that happens between the two of them. They're equal, but they're different. And where one lacks, the other makes up. That's why this image of, of, of dancing is a perfect analogy for what marriage is in, intended to look like. We're supposed to look at the Trinity and see what God is like. And then he says this in 521, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is the last thing that, that Paul talks about as, as far as being build, filled with the Holy Spirit, that it looks like submission to one another. And before we go any further into this passage, you need to understand something. If you are a part of this new community that Christ is building, if you are part of Christ's church, if you have been ransomed and redeemed by him and you're, you're a part of this, you are called to submission. All of us are called to submission. Every man, woman, and child in this room is called to submission. Paul says in Philippians that we are not to consider ourselves as better than other people, but we are to consider others as better than ourselves. We're called to submission. Every single one of us is in some way, shape, or form. But it looks differently for different people because of different roles. In this section of scripture, uh, Paul's gonna talk about marriage. Then he's gonna talk about uh, parents and children. He's gonna talk about slaves and masters. He's gonna talk about different things, different roles, but all of them, every role within there is required to submit in some way, though it looks differently from one relationship to the other. Why? do we submit out of reverence for Christ? You see, you cannot walk away from the cross of Jesus and be prideful. You cannot experience the humility and suffering of Jesus Christ firsthand and see the, 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 the Son of God, what he did for you, the lengths that he has gone to redeem you and save you. You cannot walk away from the cross and be prideful and arrogant towards other people. If you are, then you haven't experienced the cross. So that's where we begin. All of us call to submit to one another because of what Christ has done for us. So Paul's gonna to turn to the wives first. 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now I'm willing to bet that some of you right now feel a repulsion towards that. It is hard to hear. We go back to the garden and what we discover there is that there is, is, is Adam and Eve and uh, Satan comes along in the form of a serpent and he comes to them and he tempts them to believe truths or uh, false things about God. God is not good. He's not really caring about you, that he's not really uh, truthful to you. And, and the lie that, that he wants them to believe is that they should not submit. 
The lie of Satan is that submission is wrong. Submission is bad. Submission is, is weakness. Submission is, is not what you were called to do. You, you were called to come out from underneath authority. You're, you're called to be your own authority. But you need to understand that this idea, this idea that submission is not good, that, that's an idea that doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. It comes from Satan. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, here's a caveat here. First thing I want to say is when we're called to submit to earthly authority, we stop when that submission turns into sin. So that if, if the earthly authority that you've been called to submit to, if that authority demands that you sin against God, you are no longer required to submit to that authority. Am I clear on that? Wives, you are an image bearer of God. You were of infinite value and worth to the creator of the universe. For you to suffer abuse in any way, shape, or form is sin. It's sin. So for you to allow that to happen, you are allowing sin to happen to you. Do not participate in sin. If you are experiencing abuse by the hand of some guy who's telling you that you have to submit to him because he's an authority over you, you need to remove yourself from that. If you, are, if you are being abused, get out from underneath that. Call the police. If he's a member of this church, you call an elder. When Paul says submit to your husbands, he's not saying submit to abuse. Second thing I want you to notice, it says submit to your own husband. He doesn't say all women submit to all men. He's not saying submit to somebody else's husband. He's not creating a hierarchy. He's saying that there's a role to fulfill in marriage and there's a reason for it. See, here's what submission isn't. Submission isn't weakness. Submission is strength. Submission isn't weakness. Submission is strength. Look at the God that we worship. The Son of God leaves glory and he takes on flesh and he reduces himself to the smallest possible human form and he enters into a womb and nine months later he is born and he's not born out into privilege. He's not born into power. He's not born into riches or wealth. He's born into poverty. He's born in a stable. He's wrapped up in rags and he's put in a feeding trough. The God of the universe did that. And he descends and he comes and he lives this life that always points to the truth of who God is. And he's walking around and he's allowing lepers to touch him and he's touching them and he's hanging out with the dregs of society and he's hanging out and he's putting little kids on his lap and he's talking to them tenderly. This is a man who said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Here's a man who, who wrapped a towel around his waist and got on his hands and his knees and he washed the stinking feet of his disciples. And you will look at that and you say, that's weakness. No, that's love. That's weakness. No, that's strength. And he goes into this garden the night before he's killed and he's crying out to God the Father and he's laying face down and he's dropping great drops of blood from his head as he's, as he's pouring himself out and he's asking God the Father, will you take this cup of suffering away from me? And then he gets up and he says, not my will but your will be done. And you would say, that's weakness. No, that's courage. 
He allows himself to be drug away and he faced false, false trials and he's beaten and he's nailed to a wooden beam and he's raised up in humility for the whole world to see. And he could have called down legions of angels to come and rescue him, but he didn't. He kept silent except to say things like, Father, forgive them. Submission to the will of the Father. It is not weakness, it is strength. And it is the lie of Satan that tells you otherwise. Submission isn't weakness, submission is strength. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, do you understand that when you will do what Paul's telling you to do, you are actually proclaiming the gospel? You are actually pointing to the truth of what Christ has done to save his church. You are pointing to something so much bigger than yourself. Your words may tell your friends and neighbors one thing about your belief in Jesus, but your actions toward your husband will speak volumes louder. Submission is not weakness, it's strength. Verse 25, husbands, it's your turn. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You notice that Paul with wives says to submit. With husbands, he says love. And how do you love? You lay your life down. I want to make it very clear to you as husbands, a call to be a husband is a call to die. It is a call to sacrifice. It is a call to lay down your life for another. A call to be a husband is a call to die. 16 years ago when I entered into marriage, I thought that marriage was the means of self-fulfillment. I thought marriage was the means by um, all of the holes in Justin get filled by another human being. I entered into marriage thinking that, that Melissa was going to be the cure for anything that ails me and, and I was going to try to do the same thing for her, but ultimately that she was there to help me be all I could be. When the reality is, is I was called into that relationship for me to lay down my life for her so that I could help her become all that Christ is calling her to be. You see, husband, headship isn't tyranny. Headship is responsibility. We go back to the garden and what we see there is there's this dialogue that's happening between the serpent and, and Eve and Adam's there the whole time. But he's saying nothing. He's abdicating responsibility. You see, he should have got up and he should have stood between Eve and that snake and he should have proclaimed the truth. No, God is good. No, God is powerful. No, it is right for us to submit to him. Under submission to him, we thrive. No. Instead, he kept his mouth shut and he abdicated his spiritual responsibility to her. And the reality is, is the church in America today is mostly filled with women because men are at home abdicating their spiritual responsibility. It's not about tyranny, it's about responsibility. Do you know that that woman that God has given you, that she's the daughter of the Most High King? 
Do you know this woman is a precious child of God? And you are responsible for her. You're responsible to lay down your life and love her. You know what the, the, the consequences were when God showed up to clean up the mess in the garden? The curse on the man was that he would spend the rest of his days living by the sweat of his brow. In other words, he would pour his life into the ground. He would work. You see, men, oftentimes, we're not laying down our lives for our wives. We're laying them down for our careers. And we are spending our life abdicating responsibility and walking out the door and going to work. We're not laying down our lives for our spouses. We're not laying them down for this beautiful daughter of God. We're laying them down to further our careers and to have this American dream and lie to others saying, we are doing it all for our family when the truth is we're doing it all for ourselves. Headship is not tyranny, it's responsibility. He goes on. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing and that she might be holy and without blemish. Men, do you see your interaction with that woman as one where you desire that she comes out of this thing holy and without blemish? Look, here's the the truth. You can't save her. Men, you cannot save your wife. Jesus saves your wife, right? She is a sinner just like you, and she needs salvation just like you, but Jesus does that, and it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies her. You don't do that either, but here's what you do do. You pray with her, and you read scripture with her, and you talk about God with her, and you encourage her to grow in her spiritual maturity, knowing that the Spirit of God is working inside of her and and He is making her into the woman that that, that you need her to be, but also the the one that God wants her to be and you're gonna help her grow and you're gonna help her thrive because you want to present her to her Creator. I wanna talk to you young men for a second. You're not yet married and you're dating. Do you approach a dating relationship in such a way that if it doesn't work out and it ends between you and her, that she remains unblemished? Do you recognize that maybe you're not the the one God has chosen for her? And that you desire that, that she enters that marital relationship with that other guy someday, but she does it in a way where she gets to do it without any shame? And the reality is, is maybe, maybe she has been chosen for you. Maybe she has. But if you have treated her like an object that you have used to gratify yourself, even if she's complicit in that before the wedding, after the wedding, you will spend years trying to earn that respect back. Because she's seen what you're willing to do to fulfill your selfish needs. Are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you diligent about wanting to take this this beautiful child of God and present her back to her heavenly father without blemish? Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of 
of his body. Do you consider your wife a part of you? Or she is external to you? Are you in such a relationship where the two of you have become one flesh? Do you treat her like you treat your own self? You, you make sure that you have respect. You make sure that you have dignity. You, you, you make sure that you're taken care of. Do you go to the, such great lengths in order to do the same thing for her? Moving on, verse 31. Paul goes back to Genesis. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'll pause there for a second. This is created order. This is design. And I want you to notice something. Paul, he may have spoken to the wife first in this passage. He may have addressed the wife first. But what he's saying to the man is, you are the one that gets to move first. You're the one who's supposed to initiate contact. You're the one who's supposed to start. You're the one who's supposed to generate. You're the one who's supposed to get up from the comfortable place in which you are and move towards your wife. You initiate and you reach out to her with tenderness and with gentleness, and you lay down your life. Do, do you realize, men, that there are hopes and dreams that you have that you need to lay them down in order to love your wife? But you, you start it. You come to her. You initiate the way that Christ initiated your salvation, the way that Christ came for you. You get up from where you are. You leave father and mother behind. You go to where she is. And then she responds. If she is in Christ, then she responds and she moves back towards you. And you lay down your life for her and she submits to you. And there's this dance that begins between the two of you because two of you have become one and you're moving to the same music together. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Every wedding, every marriage that has ever been is meant to point toward Christ and his church, including yours. Your marriage relationship is supposed to point people to the truth of the gospel, that God loves and that God sends and that God dies and that God saves and he rescues and he redeems and he restores all things for you. This is the truth of the gospel and it all culminates in this beautiful wedding at the end of the Bible. Your marriage is supposed to point to the truth of that. Paul closes this section in verse 33 and he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is a, a summation of some simple generalities. In general, this is what love looks like for each. For the wife, love looks like a man laying down his life. For a woman to feel love, to see a man laying down his life for her. On the other hand, for a man, it's to see his wife respecting him. Understand, ladies, respect is how we, we see love. Guys, if, if you're treating your wife not as, as a part of yourself, if you're treating her like an object that maybe you're trying to, to escape from by going to work, maybe you're trying to avoid having conversations with, Maybe you're treating her like an object and you're just trying to get her off your back and make her feel contented so she'll leave you alone so you can have your job. 
It's not love. Wives, please understand that your husband, he's a, he's a sinner. He's fallen. He's broken. He's not exactly Jesus yet. But the Spirit is working in him. But the reality is, is, is if you want him to grow and become the man that you need him to be and that the Spirit is making him to be, you can't go over to your girlfriend's and start talking about all the ways your husband fails you. He needs your respect. It's your respect that will help him grow. It, it's, it, it's not your gossip about him. But husbands, it is your love and you're laying down your life for her that will help her grow. And the question is, is, is will you dance to the music that God is playing with the partner God has given you? The world is looking at Christianity and they're not just asking, is it true? They're asking if it works. And, and this marriage relationship, it's the most fundamental, it's, it's the big, like if, it, if the gospel doesn't save this, the gospel's worthless. If the gospel doesn't save your marriage, it means nothing. But it does. Look, some of you, you're here this morning and and there are people that are, that are looking at your life and they're looking at your marriage. And, and, and what they see is two people who are, they're occupying the same space. You might be sharing the same dance floor. You might be sharing a bank account and, and sharing a residence. You might, be, you might be sharing some kids that have your DNA. But the reality is, is you both got earbuds in and you're dancing to your own tune. You got the husband over here Wives are listening to emo. I don't know. I don't know how you dance. But the bottom line is, is you're not dancing together. You're each dancing to your own music. And the world is looking at your relationship and they're seeing that. You're, you're going to tell me that there's a God who can save, but he can't save your marriage. Have you ever experienced that wedding where uh, that, that couple who, you know, maybe they're a little bit older in years and you can tell they know each other pretty well and you see him walking over to her and he extends that hand and she takes it and there's that eye contact and he pulls her onto the floor and they begin to move together and you notice by their movements they know actually how to dance because not everybody does. And they actually know how to dance. And people like they take notes and they're backing up. They're giving them the floor because they want to watch this. They want to see this. They want to see two people coming together in this synchronicity and this, this movement. And it's hard to tell where one stops and the other one begins. These two people are becoming one and they're moving to the music. And, and as the music speeds up, they speed up. And as the music slows down, they slow down. And they're just, they're just going all, they're, just, they're like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And they're just they're gliding across bridges together. Like imagine if the world could look at your relationship with your spouse and they see Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. And she makes that jump and twirls and lands it. Like, what if the world could look at your marriage and see that? Right? Do you remember Scent of a Woman, Al Pacino, that, that tango scene? Guys, that's a manly tango, man. What if the world could look at your relationship and see two people coming together as one? 
and you're listening to the same music and you're listening to God. You know, Melissa and I, we've been married 16 years and I am far from the perfect husband. And she will admit that she is not uh, the perfect wife. But the reality is in a lot of ways, and I'm so grateful for this, that we are in sync together. We've moved, uh, we've lived in four different states in 16 years. We moved around quite a bit. And, and the last one was where I, I went to her and, and I said, hey, I, I see this job description and, uh, and I want you to look at it. And she, she looks at it and she's like, wow, the, like, it suits who I think you are and, and your gifting and, and this seems like a cool church that we could be a part of. It's in Ohio. <laughs> you know, at that moment, she could have been, No. You're not going to drag me across the country. My family's here. My home's here. My life is here. No. And I could have leaned in and said, yeah, because I'm the husband. And you're called a submit. We didn't do that. Because the truth is, is before I ever saw that job resume, her and I began to pray together about where we would go and we both came together and said, wherever God would call us, we're willing to go together. There's, there's never been that refusal on her part. And by the grace of God, I've never been that jerk. We haven't always agreed. A, a year ago, we were struggling with what to do with our kids in education. And she wanted to go one way, I wanted to go the other. And we were not in agreement with one another. And I sat down with, with lunch with Stover and he said, look, you think that God's t- telling you one thing and, then, and God's telling her another thing. God doesn't do that. If you're both hearing different things, you haven't heard from God yet. Go back together and figure this out. What he was talking about was that dance, that the two of us coming together and figuring this out and moving together to the will of God. And that happened, and a third opportunity or a third option came up, and that's the one we went with. We, we haven't always been on the same page, and there are times where, where we don't end up in the same spot, where she has looked at me and she said, I don't agree with you on this, but I trust you, so okay. And there's been times where I've looked at her and I've seen the gifting and the wisdom that she has, and I've said, I'm not sure I agree with you. In fact, I don't agree with you, but Okay. And I don't think that I have, I, have, I have dismissed my headship in that. I think I've laid down my life for her in that. Can you dance to the music that God is playing with the partner that God has provided you with? Because the truth is, is the world is looking on and if they can see a marriage transformed by the gospel, then that would provide so much hope for the world, don't you think? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for marriage. We don't come to it expecting to lay our lives down. We don't come to it expecting to um, give up our hopes and our dreams. But when we do obey you, when we do submit to you, when we lay down our life for you, what we discover is that in that laying down of that life, we discover new life. And to thrive 
with another person. Such a gift from you. Father, first of all, I pray this morning for the people who are here and, and they're not married and they're longing for that. Father, I pray that, that even now you would be bringing to them that woman or that man that you've prepared that they can dance with. Father, I pray for the marriages <clears throat> represented in this room that are struggling and hurting. And Father, I pray, first of all, that you would pour out your grace, that you would allow forgiveness, that you would root out bitterness, that you would intervene that you would stop the music and you would bring those two people back together and heal and reconcile as only the gospel can. Father, I pray that our marriages would be a light shining into the darkness, proclaiming the truth of who you are. You are a God of love who's done everything to rescue his bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Your cross, I stand with 
open hands, yeah, and I lift my hands open wide, let the whole world see how you love, how you died, how you set me free, free at last, I surrender all I am with open hands. With open hands You took the nails You bore the crown You hung your head Your love poured out You took my place You paid the price So Jesus now I will give my life As I lift my hands Open wide, let the whole world see how you love, how you die, how you set me free, free at last. I surrender all I am with open hands. Jesus, I lift my hands, open wide, let the whole world see.
Thank you. 
hallelujahs belong to you. You deserve it. Could you give us, could you not give us a better example of someone who submitted to the Father to save people who would betray them? Was your example not good enough to lay down your life for your enemies? You deserve our hallelujahs. You have not asked us to do anything in our marriage relationship that you have not already proven that you can do. And the same power, the scripture tells us, that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. You have given us the ability to submit where we need to submit. You have given us the ability to lay down our lives when we need to die to ourselves, We love you and we thank you for being such a great God. You are so good to us. Give us the strength to walk this out, Lord. Help us to trust that what you say is right. Your ways are true. Submitting is not weakness. Laying down your life is not weakness. Lord, if we want to have joy in our marriages, if you want our joyous joys to show a watching world what you say is true, what you say works, we have got to get this together. We have got to be willing to trust you. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. Help us to get it down deep in our heart. Help us to work this out with our loved ones. And if we're not there yet, Lord, prepare us. Make these young men worthy of being submitted to in a godly manner. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here this morning. Don't tell first service this, but you guys sounded awesome. You guys sounded awesome. It's a joy to hear you singing. God be with you.